you're getting a view into the locker room that you Since don't normally a see. Sanitized view. Not a natural scorer. Okay. To be honest opinion. He's not doing the job that they hired I, I him just, to do. I, I, I just disagree. Accelerating your hockey learning curve. This is the Illegal Curve Hockey Show on TSN 1290. TSN1290.ca. Good morning, Winnipeg. Good morning, Manitoba. For all those joining us live this morning at tsn1290.ca, good morning, universe, and welcome to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. You can follow us on Twitter at Illegal Curve, Facebook.com slash Illegal Curve, and our website with the latest Winnipeg Jets news is IllegalCurve.com. Alongside Ezra Ginsberg, I'm your host, Drew Mandel. We welcome you to three hours of Hockey Talk for you on this Saturday, the 18th of June. There's a seat empty next to you there, uh, Ezzy. Who does that belong to? I'm going to start crying. Really? You're going to start crying? Well, well, of course. Well, well, I guess we're going to get this out of the way right now, no, Drew. No, no, no. We can, we'll, we'll just say Richard's not here. I told Richie I wasn't going to cry. Well, that's nice. and That's good. You shouldn't cry. It's, it's not a sad moment. It's a happy moment. Richard's not here. He wasn't here last week. He's not going to be here next week or the week after, and we'll address that later on in the show. In he case might be you... here next week. Well, no, you're in Buffalo next week for the draft. He might be here two weeks from now. Two weeks from now, it's, it's possible we might have a, a little goodbye or something. Maybe he'll come by and visit. Maybe he'll bring us some cookies. Yeah, I, I, he sent me a restraining order. I thought that was a little bit uncalled for. That he's he, not taking my calls yeah, right now. By you know, the way. And he's insisting that we call him Mr. Pollock at all times. I think that's uncalled for. I showed up at his office, and I was like, yeah, I'm here to see Richard. And they're like, who are you? And I'm like, I'm Richard's friend. Like, we do the radio show together. They're like, we... They said, what radio yeah. show? Yeah. We don't know who you are. Yeah. Richard, Richard doesn't want to see you right no, now. No, Richard, exactly. Security around him at all times. I mean, you know, he's, you know, I thought the hiring of private secret service agents was a little over the top. But, you know, no judgment, whatever. You know, a little bit of an ego now that he thinks he's Mr. High and Mighty and everything else. I haven't heard from Rich in like three weeks. I sort of, you know, dumped his friend. You know, he, I just assume he's, he's like I, one of those guys who gets a new, yeah. gets a new girlfriend and yeah. then immediately forgets about his friend. I just friends. assume Rich is in like L.A. or Paris or Milan. With or, the beautiful people, yeah. right? You know, yeah. Venice, you know, something I, like that. He's not going to associate with us radio people anymore. No, certainly not. No, now, now that he's a big shot, he's certainly not going to associate with us anymore. Anyways, we'll talk about uh, why we're making fun of Richard little bit later on in the show, but it's all in jest and it's all in good fun. But let's start with Winnipeg Jets news and Winnipeg Jets RFA centerman Mark Scheifele. Lots of Jets fans are, you know, they're looking at, you know, they're excited for the draft next week, certainly, as they should be. The number two overall pick, the number 22 overall pick. You know, it's expected that it's going to be Patrick Liney, the name on everyone on the lips of Kevin Day off when they make the announcement next Friday night in Buffalo. You will be, be down there. Uh, Dave Manuk of IllegalCurve.com will also be down there. H&L will be down there. Full coverage here on the station, of course, and on IllegalCurve.com. But there's also, you know, there's as much as there's the excitement about the draft, there's also the what's going to happen with Mark Shifley and what's going to happen with Jacob Truba. Both of them coming off of their entry-level contracts, both of them restricted free agents, and we'll deal with the Jacob Truba news, Kevin Shoveldayoff holding a press conference earlier in the week. We'll deal with that a little bit later on in the show coming up next segment. But Mark Shifley is, you know, really took a step forward this past season for the Winnipeg Jets in becoming that bonafide top six, maybe top three centermen 
that the Jets hoped he would have been when he was drafted way back when in 2011 on June 24th, 2011 in St. Paul, Minnesota. So, you know, we, I endeavored to look around the NHL and examine the question as we've done so many times before, both on IllegalCurve.com and on this program. What is the fair market value for Mark Shifley? What is, you know, looking around, you know, contracts are never negotiated in a vacuum. Other players similar to Mark Shifley have negotiated contracts. What is a fair number for the Winnipeg Jets and Mark Shifley to come to agreement on? Right, and I must commend you, Drew. It Thank was you. a very well-written piece that we posted yesterday. and uh, we'll, I've, I've sent we'll out link the link already. Yeah, yep. and yep. it was a very well, uh, well, well-rounded piece. And when you're talking about Mark Shifley, I agree with you. And I think anybody who watched the Winnipeg Jets this past season would agree that Mark Shifley had a breakout season. He was really a bright light in a very dark year for the Winnipeg Jets. The Jets missing the playoffs. It didn't really work out for the entire organization or many of the players. Jacob Truba is one player who I would argue took a step back in his development, even though I still think Jacob Truba is going to sign a long-term contract with the Jets. I wouldn't say that Jacob Truba had the same type of breakout year as Shifley. And, you know, we've talked about this quite a bit. We expect Mark Shifley to sign a six or seven or even eight year contract through, whereas opposed to Jacob Truba, he didn't have the best year in his third year in the NHL. And we're not sure, is he going to sign a bridge contract? Probably not. And I think both sides don't want that. But the point being that, the Jets know more so what they have in Mark Shifley, Drew. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he is a number one center now in the NHL. He proved that. In the second half of the regular season, Drew, Mark Shifley was one of the hottest players in the NHL. When you talk about goal scoring and points, he had the point streak. You remember that? Sure. Uh, you know, his release just keeps getting better and better. His decision-making gets better and better. He's a force on the power play. I mean, Mark Shifley, you could argue, is, is future captain material of this team. And Blake Wheeler might be named captain of the Winnipeg Jets, but at the very least, Mark Shifley in his third year in the NHL took a step forward. Took a step forward and became a leader on this team. So in the course of examining the marketplace, we looked at different comparables, different NHL players, and we started with the guy that a lot of Jets fans probably way back when in 2011 expected the Jets to name as their first overall, as their first pick in that draft. That was Sean Couturier of the Philadelphia Flyers. Well, people forget, and Remus and I were in St. Paul for the draft. People forget Mark Shifley wasn't projected to go in the top 10. Certainly he was not. supposed to be Drew more of a mid first round pick, late first round pick, and it's looking like uh, that 7th overall pick was was a good one by Kevin Chevelday-off and the and the scouting staff, but you're right. Shifley and Couturier are always going to be linked together mm-hmm. because Couturier was a bona fide top 10 prospect and and all of that. And sure Couturier ended up coming into the NHL before Shifley. Yeah. But if you ask me, if you're redoing the draft, you're still taking Shifley at number seven. I would agree with that assessment based on the offensive production that he has. Sean Couturier, of course, has turned into a defensive specialist. He's got- Coutur- but just as an aside, Couturier is a great player. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a guy, He's a, he's been... You know, link he's to gonna the win the Selkie, Selkie trophy. Yeah. Right. One day he will win the Selkie trophy, but Shifley's better offensively. Uh, uh, no 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 question about that. Right now that's certainly the case. Sean Couturier came into the NHL this, the same year he was drafted, and you know, he signed a he obviously played out his entry level deal, a three year deal, and then he signed the quote unquote bridge contract. He didn't have the offensive numbers. He he tapped out at thirty nine points. That's the highest point total he's ever had. So he signed that two year bridge contract, two years, three and a half million. He got one point seven five million, played another two seasons, and then last year, 
at when he was eligible, he agreed to a six-year, $26 million contract, a cap hit of $4.33 million. Now, as you said, Mark Scheifele is far and away a better offensive talent than, than Sean Couturier. Couturier is a better you know, defensive player than Scheifele is. But you know, I think people in the NHL, no, this is no surprise, they pay for goal scoring, they pay for offense. So Couturier at a cap hit of $4.33 million, to me that was the absolute lowest. Right. There's no way the Mark Scheifele was going to agree to a contract with the Winnipeg Jets or is going to agree with it, to a contract with the Winnipeg Jets for less than $4.33 million per season. Right. Mark Scheifele is going to earn more than that on an average annual value, mm-hmm. not only for the way he's played offensively, but I think the way he's developed into a bona fide number one center for this team. So I agree with you, Drew. And we should mention, too, a bridge contract right now is very improbable for Mark Shifley and Jacob Truba, but specifically Shifley, I, because he came into the NHL a little bit later, I don't think a bridge deal is an option here. The reason Couturier signed that is because he came into the NHL as an 18-year-old, and I don't think the Flyers knew as much what they had with Sean Couturier. I think they knew that he was a good player, yeah. but I think for both sides in that specific case, a bridge contract worked. Then he signed the six-year contract, as you mentioned, but I think Shifley's case... The Jets and Shifley's camp are looking for probably a six or seven year deal. I agree with you there. So we look at so that's Sean Couturier. Then we looked around. I looked around the NHL again, and I looked at you know a couple centermen that had a better pedigree, prospect pedigree, and were drafted higher than Mark Shifley. Ryan Nugent Hopkins of the Edmonton Oilers, of course, was drafted first overall. He played out his entry level deal and then signed a seven year, forty two million dollar contract with the Edmonton Oilers, six million per season. Shifley has bettered. Nugent Hopkins offensive numbers you know since right. he's been in the league and to me to me there's some other comparables there that that you want to get to Alexander Barkov is good yes but, but for me Ryan Nugent Hopkins is probably the best comparable they were both drafted the same year mm-hmm. Nugent Hopkins was drafted first overall in 2011 Shifley going seventh um, Nugent Hopkins again more of an offensive oriented player Mark Shifley is, has gotten better defensively. That's probably the biggest weakness, I would say, in his game is the defensive side. And face-offs, he's been getting better, but he's still only winning about 44% of his face-offs. But to me, Nugent Hopkins is a good comparable. They're the same age. He did come into the NHL earlier, Drew. We should mention that. But he did sign the contract. Right, he was a first overall pick. Right. I mean, and I would say he hasn't lived up to the billing of a first overall pick in Edmonton. Probably a combination of injuries and a combination of the Oilers being the tire fire they've been for the past decade. Yeah, but... Simply put, he hasn't lived up to the expectations. Certainly not. Neither has Nail Yakupov, who was drafted first overall the next year. Of course. And Yakupov, of course, is is also an RFA, if I'm not mistaken, and will be uh, getting a new contract uh, with the Oilers at some point in time. But he is lots of... Well, Yakupov's getting traded probably at the draft. We're not going to talk about Yakupov. So Nugent Hopkins signed a seven-year, $42 million deal. He didn't sign a bridge contract. His entry-level deal expired. He immediately went to seven years and $42 million, $6 million per season. And that's a contract that he he's probably he's overpaid given his 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 output his offensive output for the Oilers right now he's overpaid at six million per season he just hasn't lived up to the billing. Matt Duchesne in Colorado is another guy who did he's a little bit different in that he did sign a bridge contract simply because his third year in the NHL was terrible he had 28 points in 58 games he was injured but the offensive numbers weren't there particularly after he had such a promising second year now Duchesne of the avalanche 
played out that bridge contract and in his last contract year he had 70 points so he earned a big payday from the avalanche of five years and 30 million again another guy making six million dollars for the colorado avalanche right and duchene was drafted two years before shifley yes he's the the veteran of the group that we're looking at right and and the reason why i think nugent hopkins is a better comparable duchene in his second year in the nhl had 70 points he's more of an he's a better player than ryan nugent hopkins was at the same age and I realized Duchesne's tailed off a little bit uh, here. You expected him to be in that 70, 75 point range every season with his speed and all that. Still had a good year last year. Drew still scored 30 points. But I think because of Nugent Hopkins is that same age, I really like that comparable. But, but I still think for the purpose of this analysis, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's a good one. I'm just saying, like, if I'm looking at a contract and I'm, I'm really trying to hang my hat to that contract as a comparable, I think Nugent Hopkins aside from Barkov, is the best one. And we're going to talk about Barkov fi- as the last one because the comparable, there's a lot of similarities there. Brandon Saad last year. He wasn't yep. a first-round pick. He was a second-round pick of the Chicago Blackhawks. He outplayed his performance. He had to be traded to Columbus because the Blackhawks had salary cap troubles. We saw that this week as well with Tuvo Teravainen getting traded. Brandon Saad you know, signed a, a big-money deal for a guy you know, who's one, not a centerman, and if you go on the assumption you pay centermen more than you pay wingers, he also signed a six-year, $36 million contract, $6 million per season, and he's a guy who was very good for the Blue Jackets that last past year, 31 goals, but he didn't have the, uh, the assist numbers that Shifley did. Sure. So, you, you know, Sud signs that contract, six years, $36 million, and Shifley's representatives have to be very happy about that contract because it gives them the ability to go to Kevin Shoveldayoff and say, look, this guy's in the same situation as Mark Shifley. He's not as valuable given that he's a winger as opposed to a centerman. He doesn't make uh, – Shifley's got better offensive numbers. Shifley deserves more than Brandon Saad got from the Blue Jackets. I think Shifley's a better all-around player than Brandon Saad. I, I've always been a big Brandon Saad fan, and I think the Chicago Blackhawks really missed his speed in the first round mm-hmm. against the St. Louis Blues. But it's a good comparable. When you're talking about Nugent Hopkins, you're talking about Brandon Saad, you're talking about Alexander Barkov, we'll get to the, the final number, Drew, but I think people have a ballpark idea of, of what Shifley is going to get. It's going to be between 6 and $6.5 million a year, mm-hmm. and he deserves it. Brandon Saad, as you mentioned, not as good of a playmaker as Mark Shifley. Mark Shifley's got great vision. He's able to, off the rush, peel back a little bit, find teammates. I mean, we talked about this during the regular season, Drew. The way Shifley has developed, he could get 40 goals and, and 80 points in the NHL. I mean, you forget he's only 23 years old. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the best days are ahead for Mark Shifley, right? So I, I absolutely agree that I, th- I think he's a stronger player, o- overall player, than Saad. You, you've seen his work ethic, Gary Roberts tweeting out pictures of, of Mark Shifley. But I absolutely think all of these contracts are, are good comparables. And it just shows you that everything is pointing towards the Jets and Mark Shifley coming to a long-term contract agreement. The final player we looked at was Alexander Barkov of the Florida Panthers. He was the second overall pick. And this past year, his his entry-level deal just expired this past season as well. And he put up 59 points in only 66 games played for the Panthers. Uh, Tremendously talented. I actually think that Barkov, you know, 
sort of an interesting contract in that it's a little bit less than $6 million per year. It's $5.9 million per year, and it's only six years in length. He's, due, he's going to be, assuming his career continues on the same trajectory, where he looks like he's going to be a dy- dynamic offensive talent, he's going to be due for another big payday because yep. he's going to become an unrestricted free agent unless he signs a contract extension with the Panthers. He's going to become a, an unrestricted free agent at the age of 27. Similar to Steven Stamkos uh, with the Tampa Bay Lightning. He's going to be able to get another big payday after signing this six-year, $35 million contract. You can maybe make the argument that he left a little bit of money on the table for the Panthers, given the Saad contract, given the Duchesne contract, given the Nugent Hopkins contract, because Barkov's better than all those, all three of those players. Yeah, it's a good point, Drew, and the Florida Panthers are maybe regretting that they didn't sign him to a seven- or eight-year contract. I think Barkov didn't want a seven- or eight-year contract. Well, that's possible, too. We yeah. don't know that, right? But And we're saying this in part because Barkov just had such a phenomenal year with 28 goals and 59 points. He took a big jump up offensively, but you know how big of a fan I am of Alexander Barkov. I think you're looking at Andrzej Kopitar 2.0. I I think that's how good he is. He's not only good offensively, but he controls a game from the defensive point of view as well. Mm -hmm. And he has that ability. I mean, if you're talking about possession numbers and all that, uh, Alexander Barkov is a great possession player. And he, we obviously know how good he was for the Florida Panthers making the playoffs this year. Um, I think Barkov is a good comparable as well, Drew. But yeah, you could argue that he should be making maybe $6.5 million, $7 million a year on average based on the fact that he's the number one center mm-hmm. for the Florida Panthers now and uh, drafted a year after Mark Scheifele. But absolutely, I think this is a good comparable. Everything is pointing towards, I think, your magic number that you're about to give us here. Yes. Um, but absolutely, Scheifele, the, po- the point, I think, too, of this article is that Shifley is up there with all of these elite young centermen. Shifley's an elite young centerman for this Winnipeg Jets team. He proved it this past season. Mm-hmm. For any doubters, I mean, we've always been a big fan of Shifley on this show, but if there were any doubters scoring 29 goals this year, I think he silenced everybody. I agree with you there. So after this is all said and done, and you know, as, as sort of disappointed as Kevin Dayoff probably would be in the Brandon Sod contract, given how it r- affects Shifley, he'd be that happy about the Barkov contract, given how it affects Shifley, and that you know, maybe that gives, puts a little bit more leverage back in his court. So after it's all said and done... We What's your magic at, number, Drew? Well, we looked at three different scenarios. If Shifley wants to go with a six-year deal, we thought the salary cap hit, it would be six years, $36 million, a salary cap hit of six point zero million per season very similar to ryan nugent hopkins nugent hopkins duchene all those guys if he goes with a seven-year deal get an extra year there gets a little bit extra money 43.75 million a cap hit of 6.25 million per season and the max contract the eight-year contract the most years you can give a player if the jets decided to go that way with mark shifley and shifley agreed to it we thought it would be eight years 52 million dollars a salary cap hit of 6.5 million we'll see how it eventually plays out between the jets and shifley's representation all the news on that front of course coming at you here on the illegal curve hockey show when we come back we talk about jacob truba kevin shovel layoff held a press conference earlier this week truba's name came up throughout it we'll talk about it next you're listening to ic radio on tsn 1290 Uh, I'm not trying to trade anybody. I think, uh, you know, in this game, there's a distinct possibility that anybody can get traded. And, uh, you know, again, uh, we've got some good young players here. We've got two of them that are up for contracts in and, and Truba and Shifley. And, uh, you know, we're going to do our best to get those, uh, you know, contracts done in the book. So uh, trying to trade them, no. 
Jets general manager Kevin Sheveldayoff earlier this week addressing the media, being asked about reports regarding Jacob Truba's future, I guess Mark Scheifele's future as well, with the Winnipeg Jets organization. Welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. This segment brought to you by Dr. Les Rikus and the team at Linden Market Dental Center, official dentist of Illegal Curve Hockey. Don't be an Ezzy. Always wear a mouth guard and give yourself peace of mind protection as well as facial teeth and mouth protection. For more information or to make an appointment, visit LindenMarketDentalCenter.com. So, Kevin Sheveldayoff addressing the issue regarding Jacob Truba, an RFA himself, no arbitration eligibility, but sort of putting a, pouring a little bit of cold water on the notion that Jacob Truba will be anywhere other than a Winnipeg Jet, other than wearing a Winnipeg Jets uniform next season. If you were a betting man, Ezzy, if you had to place the odds, the percentage, what percentage would you give Jacob Truba being in a Winnipeg Jets uniform next year? I think 100%. Really? 100%. You think there's no possibility that he could be traded to another NHL team or his rights traded to another NHL team? Well, Drew, there's always a possibility. So I personally, you asked me, then. right? I asked you, of course. I, I don't think it's going to happen. And I know Huss wrote about it for Metro News, you know, about the, the topic being Truba's contract negotiations could be fascinating. And I agree with Huss. I, I, look, I think when Jacob Truba came into the NHL after one year at the University of Michigan mm-hmm. and the numbers that he put up, everybody was already anointing him as a, a future Norris Trophy winner, right? And I think the year the Jets went to the playoffs last two seasons ago, uh, Jacob Truba had his best year of the three years, and then you started to see where he was going and all that. He took a step back this year, there's no doubt. And I think Jacob Truba still is an excellent defenseman. I mean, he's a top defenseman in the NHL, Absolutely. I'm not saying he's a top 10 defenseman, but I mean, he's a bonafide top four defenseman, I think. And partly why he struggled this year was because he moved to the left side. We have to factor that in there. Jacob Truba is usually a right side defenseman. He shoots right, Mm -hmm. and they moved him over to the left side to play with Buff. Two years ago, he was playing with Mark Stewart. For two years in a row, he played with Mark Stewart. Um, And there was an adjustment period there. He struggled, but the entire Jets team struggled. It wasn't just Jacob Truba. So... When, when you ask me if, if I think he's going to be traded, I mean, this guy was drafted in the first round in 2012. The Jets have a lot invested in him. He, they brought him into the NHL after one year, the University of Michigan. First off, I think when you, when you try to imagine the Winnipeg Jets without Jacob Truba in the lineup, who's replacing Jacob Truba's minutes in the lineup right now? They're, they don't have anybody who's built in and ready to jump into that into that position. No argument. The problem... That's the problem. That's why well, I don't think the Jets pro- are going to move him. That's fine. I, I, I totally respect that opinion. The pro- here, here's the problem from, from two vantage points that I see. One, I mean, Jacob Truba is a right-side defenseman, and the Jets have a glut of right-side defensemen. I know that. Now, can he play on the off-wing? Well, they're certainly trying, and it would certainly... It would certainly change the Winnipeg Jets' dynamic of an organization if he was able to be a left-side defenseman because the Jets need a left-side defenseman desperately. Two, you look at the upcoming NHL expansion draft, and the Winnipeg Jets are only going to be able to protect three defensemen if they go with seven forwards, three defensemen, and a goalie, or they're only going to be able to protect eight skaters and a goalie. Problem is, you look at the Winnipeg Jets' defense right now, and you have Dustin Bufflin. Well, he just signed a big contract. He's not going anywhere. You have Tyler Myers. He's under contract. The Jets acquired him from Buffalo. They seem to be quite high on him. You have Truba. 
You have Enstrom, who's got one year left on his... Uh, two years. Two years, but sorry. He'll have one year left when the expansion draft occurs. Right. And then you also have Josh Morrissey, who would have to be either protected or exposed in the expansion draft because he'll have completed the number of years of his professional career needed to be to be protected or exposed. So you have five defensemen that the Jets would probably like to hold on to. Maybe they're okay losing Enstrom at the end of, you know, with one year left on his contract. But, you know, it's the expansion draft, I think, does have to factor in a little bit to whatever decision Kevin Chevaldeoff decides to make as it relates to Jacob Truba, as it relates... I mean, Jacob Truba is in demand if the Jets were to put him up uh, on the trade block. And I agree with you that the expansion draft has to factor into the decision. Mm -hmm. But again, I go back to if Jacob Truba's traded, that leaves a huge hole in the top four for the Winnipeg Jets. And if you're trading him, you better be getting back a defenseman that can play on the second pairing left side with Buff. Whoever that is, whoever Mm -hmm. you're trading, because right now... You know, no offense to, to Josh Morrissey or, or Ben Sherratt, but those guys can't step up into a, a second-pairing role, in my opinion, right now. I think those guys, especially Morrissey, who just f- finished his first year in the AHL, they're going to ease him in probably on the third pair. Not saying that he doesn't have that future potential, but Jacob Trouba Drew is a guy that plays 22 to 25 minutes a game. He can play on the power play. He can play on the penalty kill. The guy can move the puck. So if you're talking about moving a guy like that, you better have someone else ready to come in and and fill fill those shoes right that's all i'm Certainly. saying so sure there might be the, the possibility if the jacob truba contract negotiations go sideways maybe that's an option there's no indication of that right now you hear all these rumors but that's all they are drew they're just rumors sorry i, I need to clarify something i misspoke they don't need you to always protect. misspeak. i do always misspeak they they do not need to protect josh morrissey because he'll be completing his second year of of professional hockey. So I was going to w- correct you, but I didn't want to make you look bad. Thank you. I'll if make Richie my s- was here, he'd make you look bad. Certainly would. So I will make myself look bad. I misspoke there. My apologies. They don't need to protect Josh Morrissey, but the same problem still exists in that unless the Jets go the route of protecting... They're still going to have to pick three of four defensemen, Drew. Or they can protect only eight skaters. They could. There is the possibility sure. you can choose eight skaters, but then that affects yeah, but your are forwards. You, are, yeah, but are you only going to protect four defense? If you protect four defensemen, that means you can only protect four forwards. And it's unlikely that they would go that route as well. I mean, this is a conundrum for the Winnipeg Jets organization that they need to answer. And you have to evaluate. I mean, you have to look at, at Jacob Truba. He's got a very aggressive agent in Kurt Overhart who has been known to squeeze every dollar out of an organization, sometimes by making a player hold out, Ryan Johansson of the Columbus Blue Jackets, or now of the Nashville Predators, but ex of the Columbus Blue Jackets, a perfect example of that, as you know, he drove a very hard bargain for the former you know, top three, top four pick of the Blue Jackets. He's now on the Predators. Yeah, but see, I don't think Jacob Truba is in that same type of power position He's not. That Ryan Johansson was in. Ryan Johansson was coming off a, an excellent year. He's he's an elite young center mm-hmm. in the NHL. Jacob Truba's not coming off a particularly good offensive or defensive season. So I don't know if he has really... I, I'm just saying, I'm not saying that there isn't the possibility he holds out. There's always that possibility. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't have any leverage here. Well, we talked about Shifley last segment. And Shifley you know, put up some big numbers and you think that the Jets would want to sign him to a long-term six, seven, eight-year deal. Right. Jacob Truba, I think, is a prime candidate for more of a bridge contract, if anybody was. No, but he see like, he, he hasn't he done d- enough offensively, and his defensive game regressed to some degree last year. That say you know you need another two year of a you know here's a prove me contract. 
you know, and the, and if you do get the big numbers, and if your offensive game develops and your defensive game develops, we'll be glad to pay you two years in from theory, now. In theory, Drew, I think that that's true, but I don't think either side wants a bridge contract. Well, I am sure that I'm sure that Truba's team probably doesn't because they'd like to get you know as much money for their client as possible. But from the Jets' perspective, has he done enough to show you that he's deserving of a significant dollar, six, seven, eight year contract? He hasn't done enough to show me that. And I, you know, it seems like this is one of those bridge contracts. It, it seems like it's if they don't give Jacob Truba a bridge contract, who's deserving of a bridge contract in the NHL anymore? Probably nobody. But again, from the Jets' perspective, you, if you sign him to a bridge contract and then he puts up forty-five points in the next two seasons, he's going to get even more money than he was asking for. So you're happy that so his offensive game developed, and so there is a bit of a risk. Yeah, but reward. the Jets have a lot of money tied up in defensemen. Do they want to be paying Jacob Truba seven million dollars a year? Well, but two years from now. Toby Enstrom's off the books. So you pay uh, Truba a little bit now. Enstrom, sure, I mean, but that's, you know, are they going to keep Enstrom? Or if they keep Enstrom, they're probably going to have to pay Enstrom again $5, 6000000 million a year. I, I would kick the can a bit down the road as it relates to Jacob Truba and a long-term deal. That would be my course of action. We will see what the Jets decide to do, of course, as this negotiation unfolds over the next weeks and months. And we'll find out at that point in time, what does Kevin Shoveldayoff decide to do with Jacob Truba? Is it a long-term deal? Is it a bridge contract? Is it something altogether unexpected, perhaps like a trade, as we referenced off the top? Let's head to break. When we come back, we head out and talk to Tracy Myers of CSN Chicago. The Blackhawks made a trade earlier this week. They had to give up a young prospect to get some salary cap relief. We'll talk to Tracy about it next. You're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. We're live on TSN 1290. The game. Shortly after 9.30 in the morning, welcome back to the Illegal Curb Hockey Show here on TSN 1290. Drew Mandel and Ezra Ginsberg with you. You can follow us on Twitter at IllegalCurve, Facebook.com slash IllegalCurve, and our website with the latest Winnipeg Jets news is IllegalCurve.com. Now, let's go live on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show Hotline. We are pleased to welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show Tracy Myers of CSNChicago.com. She covers the Blackhawks. Tracy, good morning, and thanks very much for joining us. Good morning. How are you guys doing today? We're doing very well, Tracy. Appreciate you giving us your time. You're not at Oakmont uh, in Pennsylvania, are you, for the U.S. <laughs> Open? No, no. I'm uh, about three hours north of there, although, you know, it's, it's funny. I did stop through Pittsburgh Airport uh, on my way back home, so... Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a beautiful course. I'm watching the U.S. Open right now, though. So, unfortunately, never been there. I, I would love to someday. Yes. Tracy, how close are you to the Stanley Cup? Where is it right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, I was. Uh, I wouldn't have been stunned if I'd seen it in the airport yesterday, to be honest with you. But, uh, uh, unfortunately, no sighting for me. We, Tracy, we obviously brought you on to talk about the Blackhawks, the team you cover for CSN Chicago. Uh, salary cap woes reared their ugly head earlier this week. The Blackhawks, in an effort to get out from under Brian Bickle's contract, they have to trade Bickle and they throw in Tuvo Teravine and the young player, uh, young prospect for the Blackhawks to the Hurricanes in exchange for a couple of draft picks. You know, are you surprised that Stan Bowman went the route of trading Bickle and tra- and throwing in the Tara Vinen as opposed to going with the buyout of Bickle's contract? Um, I, I was at the time, um, you know, for, for two reasons. One, you know, for the last couple of years, Tara Vinen has been in the system. You've heard from Bowman constantly saying this guy is 
our present. This guy is our future. He's going to be a big part of our team. Um, you know, last year at the trade deadline, he basically went out and got two veterans specifically to play with Carabinian, and it didn't work out, but uh, you could tell they were trying to find a, a more solid spot for him. And, uh, you know, ultimately he's going to be a top six forward, or at least that's where you kind of carve him out, and there's no place for him right now with that. As far as the buyout is concerned, I know it was an option, and I think one of the big things was, and this is just my opinion, is you've got a cap that's not going up by much. Mm-hmm. If you could have dumped all of that salary right now, it would have been more beneficial because if you do the buyout, sure, you save $3 million this year, but then you pay an extra $1.5 million next year that you normally wouldn't have. And so, you know, if you are going to try and get Panarin, if you are going to try and get Shaw signed, you need every dollar you can get, not just this year, but especially with Panarin's sake, next year. So an extra $1.5 million was, you know, going to be tough, I think, for a, an already cash-strapped team to deal with. And so, uh, you know, in terms of, of getting rid of as much salary as possible, this was the best option. Well, Tracy, you just men- mentioned Andrew Shaw. Now that the, the Hawks have cleared up that cap space by dealing Tavo Teravainen and by dealing Brian Bickle. What are they looking for as far as a contract with Andrew Shaw? Is he going to sign a longer-term contract? Do you think it's going to be four or five years? Is that the next move for Stan Bowman? You know, I, I don't know if it ends up being that or, or again, you know, considering their salary cap situation and, um, you know, is it is it a four- or five-year deal or – do they put him in the uh, along the lines? Is he their next Marcus Kruger in terms of hey, give us another year or two to kind of get things balanced out? And so, can you take another bridge deal for us? You know, Marcus Kruger went through two or three one-year deals before he finally got that three-year deal this past year. So I wonder if it's something like that where they say, listen, we love you, we want you to stay. Can you just take a little bit of a raise and a little bit of term right now, and then maybe as as the next couple of years uh, float around, we can kind of figure this out. So. I'm thinking that personally would be the way I would want to go. Um, you know, what does the Shaw camp want? I, I know, uh, you know, I exchanged messages with Pat Persson real quick last week. Sounds like they will talk at the draft. Um, you know, this is a team that has to weigh every contract carefully because of the long-term contracts they already have sewn up, the ones that they still want to get done, Panarin, of course, being a big one. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a balancing act for this team. And if Andrew Shaw really wants to stay – I think you have to weigh all the options. I don't think you can swing for the fences like Brandon Saad did, not that he would command Saad money, but it's it's a choice you got to make. Do you want to stay here with a team that still has a chance to win a couple of cups, or do you want to go for the highest paycheck? Um, if I were Shaw, I would, you know, if it takes sacrificing maybe one more deal, might not be a bad idea. Tracy, I think you'd agree that, that the Chicago Blackhawks probably missed Johnny Oduya, and that was their biggest weakness this past season, not having someone to really mm-hmm. fill fill his shoes. Is it safe to say that that is still going to be one of the main focuses of Stan Bowman and Norm McIver heading into the NHL draft in the off seasons? It's trying to acquire a top four defenseman. I, I think it has to be. Um, yeah, they, they totally missed Oduya, and uh, you know, I think they thought they had it with Daly. That didn't work out. Um, you know, and, and good for him for, for finding a niche in Pittsburgh. <laughs> worked out very well for him. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, and, and even it's funny when you look back and even when they first got Oduya, uh, who knew that was going to turn out the way it did, but he had such a great rapport with, with Nicholas Jarmelson and they found that thing. And so, yeah, it's, it's going to be finding that again. Um, 
you know, I, I think it's one of those deals where they have to find somebody who obviously has a little bit of a, a, a veteran edge to them. They're not going to be able to afford a lot. And the other thing is, is for this year, for the first time in many years, you're also going to have your top three coming in a lot more rested than they were the last couple of years. And I think that's a factor, too. Uh, you know, as I told somebody in one of my mailbags last week, if you still started your defense with Keith Seabrook and Jarmelson, that's pretty damn nice. And something a lot of teams, I think, would perfectly like to have. You know, and that fourth guy, you need somebody who's going to be able to fit in and is maybe a little bit older and a little more experienced than a Van Riemsdyker Gustafson. Maybe those guys come along. You need that bridge guy, and that's what Oduya was. And so, uh, again, you only have so much cash you can play with, but if if, uh, Bowman can find that guy, that's absolutely going to be on the list. You're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Tracy Myers is our guest. We're talking about the Chicago Blackhawks. Tracy, of course, covers the team for CSN Chicago. Tracy, you know, obviously, you know, getting Artemi Panarin in last year, and I mean, he was a dynamic player with Patrick Kane. I'm not telling you anything you don't know with with that statement. If the Blackhawks, you know, can't find another young player like that, I don't know if it's going to be Nick Schmaltz or somebody else in the system. Are they too thin up front? I mean, after you get past their, so, you know, the top four with Kane and Taves and Hosa and Panarin. That's a pretty good top four. Drew. It's a pretty good top four, but you know, yeah. is, is there concern about you know about who can fill those those other roles for the team, given the salary cap struggles and given the fact that they, I mean, really they have six million dollars in space to fill six positions on the team. I think so. Um, you know, and, and the other concern is, is if you look, you know, the last couple of years and, and another thing, the, the Bowman mantra that we've heard the last bunch of years is, is draft and develop, draft and develop. And they were doing that for a couple of years. Now they're drafting, developing and trading. Mm-hmm. You know, it, uh, you look at a couple of the guys that, that they've let go. It was, it was Stephen Johns on defense and, and who knows how he develops, but you know, had a very nice year with Dallas when he did come up and, and a lot of potential there. On the forward side, Tara Vinan is gone. Philip Deneau is gone. Um, trying to think of a couple other guys that they've gotten rid of. But they've they've traded away some of these guys that they said, all right, these are going to be our next guys coming up. So, yeah, it, it's, it's the Blackhawks and it's also the Rockford uh, system. You look down there and a bunch of the names that you've seen over the last couple of years are gone. And, you know, when you win immediately, you know, when you have that immediate impact, like when you've won the last couple of years, it's great. When you look back this past year and you think, okay, we finished first round and look what we lost. That's where it's, it's going to be tough. So it, it's a combination, but yeah, I, th- I think the Blackhawks in that desire to win as much as they can in this window. And I understand it because you've got some of these guys in the primes of their careers and it's going to be disappearing quickly, but you know, they're also mortgaging a lot of their future, and that's why it was important they got a couple more draft picks. That's important why from here on out they've got to be holding on to some of these guys again because, yeah, it, it's getting thin in, uh, in the Blackhawks' ranks, and it's also getting thin in Rockford. And, and we should point out Tyler Mott is another guy mm-hmm. that the Blackhawks signed. Yeah. He had a really good year this yeah. past year with JT Comfort. And we sh- you mentioned Schmaltz, and, and Bowman brought him up out of the blue the other day, and so you wonder. It sounds like he's still up in the air, but if Bowman talking about him the way he is, you wonder if Schmaltz is thinking of leaning towards signing this year, which obviously would be a big help for them. Yeah, and I saw him play at UND this year. He's a good player. Tracy, we had just had a few more questions for you here on this Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. 
wanted to just ask you, reflecting back on the Stanley Cup playoffs for the Chicago Blackhawks, you know, it's just been uh, about a week since the Pittsburgh Penguins won the Stanley Cup in Chicago, obviously having a, a disappointing first-round exit. But for you, watching the Chicago Blackhawks this year, was that just a, a team that's played so much hockey over the last three or four years, and or, or were they just beat by a better St. Louis Blues team? I think it was a combination. I don't. I think there's no doubt that uh, that a lot of those guys got tired. And again, you know, you go back to their defense. You had a thinner defense this year, and you had three guys who have played so much hockey over the last couple of years. That takes its toll. The same with Patrick Kane and Marion Hosa and Jonathan Taves. And I, I think we saw with Hosa as much as anybody during the regular season. Although I thought he was fantastic during the postseason, but. You're relying on the same guys over and over and over again. These seasons are long. There's no such thing as an off-season. Um, you know, it, it adds up. St. Louis, I thought, was better this year than they have been in the past couple of years because in the past few years, they were this physical team and they were just so reliant on beating you down that they didn't have the offense or they didn't have the goaltending. Well, they were a much more complete package this year. That being said, it still came down to – a 2-1 game, and Brent Seabrook hitting two posts, mm-hmm. and that close to the Blackhawks still getting through, despite them not being the same team as the last couple of years, despite the weaknesses, despite uh, looking like a tired team. So uh, that just tells you, you know, th- this team is far from finished. Um, hats off to St. Louis, and it was an incredible series. It was just fantastic series to watch, but uh, – Sometimes things add up, and against a better St. Louis team, it wasn't enough this year. Tracy, we'll let you go on this last question. And you know, when I was referencing the the Blackhawks' top forwards before, <laughs> it's certainly they're they're the envy of the league. Certainly, Kane, Taves, Hosa, Panarin, no questions about that. That's that's a fantastic set of forwards. Artem Anisimov was acquired by the Blackhawks last offseason in the trade for Brandon Saad. They signed him to the you know the lengthy contract extension, I believe six years uh, of a contract extension. He's getting paid $4.5 million per season. Given the performance and given his offensive output this past season, and given the, in, probably more so, the Blackhawks' salary cap troubles, do you get any sense whatsoever that there's maybe tinges of regret in the organization that they gave Anisimov the contract they did when they acquired him from Columbus? Um, you, you never know. Uh, maybe internally. Uh, I was surprised that they gave that contract as quickly as they did, you know, because I, to see a guy with another team is one thing. To see him, how he fits in with your group is quite another. Now, I thought Anisimov had a very good year. Um, toward the end, he didn't look so good, but then, you know, he has a wrist surgery right outside of, of the playoffs ending. So obviously that was causing the problem. Um, but yeah, I was surprised that they threw that contract out as quickly as they did. And, and for the numbers they did, um, you know, why they felt the need to do that immediately. I have no idea. Maybe part of it was, Hey, we finally have what we think is a, is a good second-line center, and we haven't had that for the last five years, not consistently. Let's sew this guy up and not have to worry about that particular problem for the next couple of years. Um, but, yeah, you know, you, you look at that contract, you think, hmm, you know, maybe should have waited and, and seen and, and not so much money. Brent Seabrook, who is fantastic, but that's a lot of years mm-hmm. that they're giving him. Um, you know, and, and Marcus Kruger. That's a lot of money for a fourth-line center. I love the guy. I think he brings so much, but, uh, you know, doesn't score that much and everything. So there's a couple contracts you can look at and think, um, maybe not the best idea at the moment, but, you know, that's what the Blackhawks felt at the time. 
and they realize, okay, you know, we're just going to have to deal with it. I personally think Bowman loves the fun of juggling this cap. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they, they do it every year. But at the same time, you know, that's that's the price of winning. You've got a lot of teams that don't spend anywhere near the cap, but yeah. how often, what do they do in the postseason? You know, that's that's the price you pay. It's true. Raising the Stanley Cup that does feel, you know, makes a lot of these problems feel a, a lot less serious than they are. It's, it's a stab on the wound that's a lot right. of times, yes. <laughs> Tracy Myers covers the Chicago Blackhawks for Comcast Sportsnet in Chicago. Tracy, really appreciate your time this morning. We'll let you get back to your family. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Talk soon, Tracy. Take care. Let's head to break. You're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. When we come back, we talk about the Stanley Cup champion, Pittsburgh Penguins. Drop of the puck. Classic shooting it. Knockdown. Crosby's got it. Play it up. Four seconds to go. The Penguins have jumped over the boards. It sails down to the Sharks in short in it. It's over. Get in the fast lane, Grandma. The bingo game is ready to roll. The 2016 Stanley Cup champions, the Pittsburgh Penguins. The one, the only, Mike Lang. On Mike the, Lang is the best. On the Penguins. He is the best. The Penguins radio broadcast, the Pittsburgh Penguins hoist Lord Stanley's Cup. Well, sorry, Paul Edmonds is the best. Yes, Mike, Mike, Mike Lang is the second best. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Oh boy, nice cover there. You don't want you don't want Edmonds getting you know. Edmonds will text you and he's going to come here and give you a couple shots if you're not careful. There's Mike Lang with the Penguins Stanley Cup champion announcement earlier this week. Welcome back to the program. This segment brought to you by Frank and Morrow Zappia of Zappia Group Realty, official realtors of Illegal Curve Hockey. When 95% of your clients come via referral, it shows your commitment to honesty, integrity, and a total dedication to client satisfaction. For all your real estate needs, come shake hands with Frank and Morrow Zappia online at zappiagroup.com. You know, Frank is obviously a very smart guy. He sponsors this show. Uh, Frank and Morrow, they sponsor the show. Frank also predicted something very similar to what I predicted back in October at the season preview show. I'm going to go with, in the West, I'm going to take, as a dark horse, the Minnesota Wild okay. to get to the Stanley Cup Finals against the Lightning, and I say the Lightning win the Cup. You say the Lightning win the Cup at the end of the day. Okay, I will mark that down. I have Pittsburgh Chuck. and Chicago in the Stanley Cup Finals, and I think the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, this is the year that they put it all together, and they're going to be healthy enough and have enough defense to, wow. to make it through. Bold. We'll see. Bold. Nothing but bold predictions here on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. That from back in October, our season preview show, as I correctly predicted, the Pittsburgh Penguins would win the Stanley Cup. Bow well, down Drew, to me now, Ezzy. Uh, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm obviously going to shower you praise. with praise. Yes. No, but you know what? It was a great pick. Thank you. And the Pittsburgh Penguins, as we know, were one of the best teams in the second half in the regular season, especially after Mike Sullivan took over, Drew. But, I mean, certainly the Penguins were underappreciated and underrated going into the playoffs. I think everybody here thought that they would beat the New York Rangers in the first round. but Yeah, the Rangers were a tire fire at that point. Yes, though. but going up against the Washington Capitals, the 120-point season and all that, mm-hmm. the Penguins were big underdogs. But, I mean, this is a team that still has Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang. Like, I think that people forgot 
how good this team really is. And when you go out in the first round year after year, first or second round year after year, you start to just expect the team to kind of fizzle out and not go deeper, right? Well, I think what you saw is you saw they finally got a good coach and who used, he looked at around it as the lineup he had and he said, what's our best attribute? And the Penguins' best attribute was speed. And the speed, the speed of the Penguins just absolutely overwhelmed every team they faced in the playoffs. Yes. So I don't think the San Jose Sharks are a slow team. No. But the Penguins were on them so quickly and were able to transition so quickly that you know it was a four games to two series. It sort of flattered the Sharks that it was uh, that it took six games. Right, and you have to give Jim Rutherford credit mm-hmm. for the players that he went out and he acquired. He went out and he acquired Phil Kessel. He gave up Kasperi Kapanen and a first round pick. He went out and he acquired Nick Benino. He went out and he acquired um, Carl Haglin. Carl Haglin. He the went season. out and he acquired yeah. Trevor Daly. Right, Trevor yeah. Daly at one point in the playoffs, was essentially the Penguins' second-best defenseman after Chris Letang. Certainly, he was a top-four defenseman. Until he went down with the right. fractured leg or right. whatever and, it was. And then, you know, Justin Schultz came in, and Justin Schultz has his Again, struggles another, defensively. Another cast-off, though, from the Edmonton Oilers. Right. I mean, you got to give credit for the depth that they had. Absolutely. They, got, they, they used their speed better than any other team. You're mm-hmm. right. Um, but they had that supporting cast, so when Sidney Crosby or Evgeny Malkin was struggling, well, you had guys like... Nick Benino, Connor Sheary, Matt Cullen, these types of guys. Matt Cullen, another Jim Rutherford acquisition. He used to have him in Carolina, right? Yeah. So you're right, though. I mean, Mike Sullivan's coaching was a big part of it. Mike Sullivan has been a a coach in the NHL for many years, head coach in Boston, assistant under John Tortorella. Mm -hmm. You know that, Drew. But absolutely, I think Mike Sullivan this year proved that he's one of the elite coaches in the NHL if people didn't already know that he was a good coach. Yeah, and the way he took over that Penguins organization, the Penguins team that was scuffling at best. I mean, they were a middling team when uh, when they made the coaching move. To when they made that coaching move, just quickly here, yeah. they were in danger of missing the playoffs. Yes. Mike Sullivan, when he came in, he completely changed the outlook for that team. Sidney Crosby started to play better. Chris Letang started to play better. The entire team started to play better. Sure, and then they rode the goaltending of, of Matt Murray, who was tremendous in his, you know, in his rookie season and his first opportunity in net. And a Penguins team that, I mean, their defense certainly isn't anything to write home about, but when you play with that speed and, you know, you don't have to play defense that often when you're, when you're that aggressive and when you have the puck on your stick and when you're able to transition as well as they were able to, they never really got hemmed into their own zone very often to you know, show and to demonstrate their defensive shortcomings. Well, that's just it. Pittsburgh had, in the Stanley Cup Finals, Pittsburgh had all the pressure on San Jose. They dictated the pace of play. San Jose didn't have sustained pressure, really, with the exception, I would, I would say, maybe one game in the entire series of the six games. San Jose couldn't get the puck from Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we talked about the HBK line, Hagelin, Benino, Kessel. They were excellent. Crosby, Sheary, and Hornquist, excellent. Those guys can score off of the rush. They control the neutral zone, Drew. Yeah. They just couldn't handle the speed. And San Jose's got a good group of defensemen there with Mark Edward Vlasic and Brent Burns and Paul Martin and Justin Braun. Even it's a better defense than Pittsburgh's defense. Well, but Pittsburgh's defense is, was also underrated. Like guys like Ben Lovejoy and Brian uh, Dumoulin. I mean, if, if you, put, if you look at it on paper, though, the, no, the, the Sharks no, have a better defense. I, I would still say, like, after... Pittsburgh's defense is, is, I would say, certainly a top 10 defense in the NHL. Okay, that's fine. Well, they certainly proved it in the in the playoffs. Whatever you want to say about it on paper or before the season started, they were they were tremendous. And when in the you playoffs. have Latang playing thirty minutes a game, it certainly helps. When right. a healthy Chris Latang, yeah. is, is, you know, and you know the healthy Chris Latang playing at you know the, probably the best you've seen Chris Latang play hockey in the last 
five years. You could have argued that he, he could have been a Conn Smythe winner. Well, I was going to ask you quickly before uh, we're sort of up against it. Love the Crosby pick. You think Crosby over Kessel? You're okay with that? Well, Kessel would have been a good pick, too. He had more points. But if you look at the— Sidney Crosby is the best player in the NHL still. And well, he, he controlled— That's not what the award's based on. It's the award's based on the playoffs. Well, I'm just saying. I mean, he's still the best player. He was the best player in the playoffs for, for, for my money. And it's not just about points. Sure. Um, and I realize that you know everyone looks at points and says, okay, well Logan Couture should have won it because he, had, but Sidney Crosby was the best player I think, and from the first round on, he led this Pittsburgh Penguins team, and that line uh, with Sheary and Hornquist was excellent. Crosby got better and better. It seemed on faceoffs, he was winning sixty percent of the faceoffs, seventy percent of the faceoffs in the Stanley Cup Finals. You know, with all the cheating in the, in the first couple of games and all that. Mm-hmm. Well. They called it cheating. It cheating. obviously wasn't Effect, cheating. Yeah. But effective, no, Drew, I, effective, I love the pick. Effective and legalized Crosby, cheating. Crosby deserved the consequences. Let me ask you this quickly. The Sharks, you know, looking at the vanquished uh, opponent of the Pittsburgh Penguins, the San Jose Sharks, they get to their first Stanley Cup in franchise history. Yep. Is this a building block? Is this the first step for the Sharks? Do you think that they can, uh, you know, emulate this again next year, repeat getting back to the Cup Finals? Or are they sort of a one-hit wonder? And nobody expected them to go this far this year. Do you think that they're going to be able to uh, you know, continue this solid performance? Well, Drew, you know how hard it is to get back to the Stanley Cup Finals. I, I mean, don't. I've never been in the Stanley Cup well, Finals, but I have an idea. We haven't seen a repeat winner in the NHL since 97-98, right? right. So it's going to be very tough. It's, it's a building block. This San Jose Sharks team, though, is not a young team. No, they're not. I mean, when you're talking about Patrick Marlowe and Joe Thornton and Joel Ward and, and Paul Martin and even guys like Vlasic and Burns, they're getting older in their late 20s, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not exactly a young team. Uh, sure, you have some young players there, um, you know, Don Scoy and, and Hurdle and, yeah. and guys like this. but Carlson, Melker Carlson. It's going to be tough for them. I, think I, would, I would say that I, I would think that they'd be a playoff team next year. But when you're talking about the Central Division, Chicago Blackhawks, St. Louis Blues, the Jets are getting better. It's going to be tough for them to get all the way back to the Stanley Cup Finals again, certainly. But certain, getting to the Stanley Cup Finals was great for this organization. It's unfortunate that they didn't win the Stanley Cup. But you can't. there's nothing negative about it. Let's head to break. When we come back, Brendan Ross joins us. We're going to talk about the OHL draft-eligible prospects for the NHL draft coming up next week in Buffalo. You're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. One hour down, two hours to go on TSN 1290. Hour number two of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Drew Mandel, Ezra Ginsberg with you on this Saturday morning. You can follow us on Twitter at Illegal Curve, Facebook.com slash Illegal Curve, and our website with the latest Winnipeg Jets news is IllegalCurve.com. Now, let's go live on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show Hotline. We are pleased to welcome back to the program Brendan Ross. Brendan is the Director of Scouting. For thescout.ca, he joins us to talk about the OHL, the Ontario Hockey League, draft-eligible prospects for the upcoming draft in Buffalo, New York. Brendan, good morning, and thanks very much for joining us. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you doing? We've got to congratulate Brendan. He recently got married. Oh, well, congratulations on your nuptials, Brendan. Thank you, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Brendan obviously brought you on, as I mentioned, to talk about the OHL prospects, the NHL draft, six days from today in Buffalo, New York. Uh, Let's start with Alex Nylander, left winger of the Mississauga Steelheads. He's projected to go somewhere between 5th overall and 10th overall in the draft. How do you compare Alex Nylander to his brother William Nylander, and how far away is he from making the jump to the NHL? 
Um, I think Alex is, uh, he has some similar traits to his brother, William, um, in terms of, you know, his skill and his awareness on the ice. Um, he's not as flashy or, or as smooth necessarily yet um, as his brother, William, but uh, he, he he does a better job of playing in the trenches, I believe. Um, he's, uh, he's much more, he's gotten a little more of an edge to his game, um, and I think there's still quite a bit of growth left to his game, so... Um, that's a promising um, aspect. He's one of the most uh, skilled guys in the draft, in my opinion. Um, just the little subtle things that he does with the puck, uh, the decisions, the ability to kind of manipulate the speed of play on zone entries and such. Um, he does all those very well, and, and that makes the game a lot easier for his line mates. So um, in terms of his development, I think well, it's, it's looking like he'll be headed to uh, professional league at professional league, whether that's the AHL or back to Europe next season. So that'd be a good challenge for him after uh, quite the debut at the Mississauga Steelhead. So um, I think you'll see him play at least one more year of pro, which would be good because he does have a little bit of uh, room to, to develop his skating. Um, I think he still has some, um, I think he knows that he's a skilled player, um, but I do believe that, uh, that he has some room to grow in terms of his confidence. So, I don't think we've seen the best yet from um, Alex. That's uh, going to be very tempting for some NHL teams come next weekend. Brendan, when you talk about OHL defensemen that are eligible for the 2016 NHL draft, most people now are expecting either Mikhail Sergachev or Oli Ulevi to be the first defenseman drafted. And that was uh, uh, contrary to at the beginning of the season. Most people thought Jacob Chikrin was going to be the first defenseman drafted, maybe as high as even second or third overall. What went wrong for Jacob Chikrin this season, and what do you think his upside is at the NHL level? Uh, I think it's I think the the OHL defense the trio, the big three as they call them, um, that that's got to be the storyline of this draft. Um, beyond you know Austin Matthews versus Line A, um, I think we're we're expecting Austin to go first. So, but then you look at the secondary uh, storyline, and I think that trio um, Chikrin. Oyu Levy, um, Sergeyev. That's it's very very close between those three. And and I went back in my rankings and I went back and forth all year. I've had Chitrin at the top. I've had Sergeyev at the top, and Yu Levy spent some time there too. Um, they're just all three of them offer just a little bit different uh, skill set and and uh, projecting them at the next level. Um, they, they each offer something different. So it's it's, it's going to come down to whatever team kind of feels that that player fits into their system best, they're probably going to take him. So um, Chitra and I've had the opportunity to watch since his minor midget days, and he's been he's been a great kid. I've, I've met him personally. I've interviewed him. I've talked to him. Um, his family is great. His dad obviously comes from NHL bloodlines, just a super nice family. Um, so I've had the opportunity to watch Chitra a lot this year and Sarnia last year um, and so on. So I've seen, I've seen the struggles that he's went through. Uh, I, I think the sh- shoulder surgeries that he's that he suffered um, last season and um, in and out of the lineup, I think that really took a toll on him. Um, he had such a good rookie season in the OHL, and expectations were almost through the roof, almost unachievable at, at times for um, Jacob. But um, I still love the way he handles himself on and off the ice. You know, he's uh, he's a confident individual. He knows what he has to do. And, and speaking to him firsthand, he, he he'll tell you first. He'll tell he'll tell you. Sorry, pardon me. Um, he'll tell you that he didn't have a great draft season, but I think there's some aspects of his games that took big leaps forwards. 
um, this past season. He became a much more rounded defenseman. And you can see at the next level that that's probably where he's going to kind of slide into. He's going to be a good top three, top four defenseman who can log big minutes. Um, coming out of minor midget, Chitrin was he was an electric offensive puck rusher. He would you know skate through the entire team um, and then fire one top shelf. That type of um, you know excitement would be a key part of his game. He's toned that back a bit, um, and I think this past season under his new coach Darian Hatcher he's learned how to uh, pick his spots better um, he, you know he, he struggled with some of his decision making and people will question his hockey IQ and such like that but for me I've, I've, see, I've seen him execute high end skill plays um, he's made smart decisions so those errors are going to be correctable in my opinion so um, Yulevi I expect him or Sergeyev probably to get chosen first but on my ranking, I still have Chitrin um, atop his, his pure physical skills. Um, this is demeanor. I just think that he's going to become an excellent pro. So um, I don't think he can go wrong with any three of these defensemen. Um, but those struggles, you know, along with the shoulder surgeries, bouncing back, you know, he had a change in coach. Those things contribute to a young um, player's mindset. And um, he took some time to adjust. And I think Chitrin we've seen at the end of the season – um, where he played excellent hockey, I think that's more of a um, more of a realistic uh, player that you're going to get down the road. You're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Brendan Ross joins us. Brendan is the director of scouting for the Scout.ca. We're talking about the OHL draft eligible prospects for the upcoming NHL draft next weekend in Buffalo. Brendan, who would you draft if you you know were an NHL general manager? Would you take Matthew Kachuk or would you take Pierre Luc Dubois for uh, you know in the third or fourth spot? Pardon me, the fourth or fifth spot. <laughs> another another duo that I've been back and forth on all year. Obviously, I'm a little more familiar with Matthew Kachuk out of London. Um, I live 20 minutes outside of London, so I, I've seen him countless times this year, and I'm a big fan of his game. I think what he offers is uh, a rare combination of. Um, high, high hockey sense, just an intelligent player. I mean, he does, and he does so deceptively, I think. Um, his um, game below the hash marks in and around the net um, is, is so, so valuable at the next level. He makes such quick decisions with the puck, and um, he gets him, gets him into the, that gets the puck into um, the hands of his skilled teammates um, in this sense. It was Dvorak and Marner, but he, he does so, so quickly. Um, that's a rare combination. With that said, I still have Dubois, um, if, if you could say, uh, just a hair above Kachuk um, in my rankings. Um, it's almost a coin flip, though, at this point. Um, but Dubois is skating. Obviously, we know that Kachuk, uh, pardon my uh, stutters here, um, he, he's got some room to grow. Matthew does um, in his skating. And I, I don't think it's a big issue um, because his, his game has revolved around you know short bursts. His 10-foot distance and 10-foot speed um, is is pretty high-end, and, and that's why I think um, I'm not that concerned about Matthew's long-term speed. But he does have um, some room to grow in his stride and skating technique. Um, and Dubois, you know, he's bigger, a little bit um, more physically fit, I would say. Um, he, you know, he impressed at the combine, and, and I think that, I know you don't put a lot of value in the combine, um, but uh, I think that might give, Dubois the edge going into the draft, but at the end of the day, Tchuk and Dubois they're gonna they're gonna be great NHL players, and um, we look back in ten years, I'm not gonna be that worried whether I had one above the other 
Brendan, the next player we want to ask you about is a, a, another member of that hockey factory uh, known as the London Knights. He's projected by many to go in the middle of the first round. What do you like most about Max Jones's game, and do you think some teams are going to be scared off a little bit by his rec reckless play? You know, for those who don't know, Max Jones was suspended for 12 games uh, during the OHL playoffs for a blindside hit. Yeah, Max is a player that I've I've, I've really enjoyed watching. I, I caught him first um, in his minor midget days, and then, you know, he started on the U.S. Um, under 17 team here in Sarnia nearby. Um, just just a player that you every every coach would love to have on his team. Um, you mentioned, yeah, he does play with a little reckless abandon, and he's going to have to learn how to toe that line carefully. Um, but just I've never seen, I don't think there's a player in this draft that goes out, um, competes at such high intensity as Max Jones, and that's effective. Um, it really makes it uncomfortable for opposing defenses. Um, his straight-line speed, you know, I don't think we've seen the best from him. Um, in terms of his skill set, I think next year when there's a few roster spots opened up, we're going to see Max Jones, uh, you know, get the puck in his hands a little more. Um, and you, because at the U17s, he was he was one of their he was I think in my uh, concluding wrap up, I think I had him as a top um, player, top performers. But um, I was really impressed with his skill level. He's got an elite level shot. Um, accuracy needs to improve a little bit, but. Um, just, I, I just love the way that he plays 110% um, both ways, um, and I think that's just easy to. He's just an easy player that you could plug into your lineup uh, when you need energy. Um, you can play with, you know, bottom six players. You can you can play alongside top skill guys. So um, I think you know, like you said, he's probably a middle of the round guy. But I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up, um, you know, nipping at the back end of that top ten if a team really really loves his energy. You're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Brendan Ross is our guest. He's the director of scouting for the scout.ca, talking about OHL draft-eligible prospects. Brendan, we know the NHL is sort of, you know, it's a copycat league. We see the league moving away from sort of the bigger, sizable guys. It's sort of a, a, uh, a renaissance for small, skilled players. Well, there's nobody smaller, and you'd be hard-pressed to say there's anybody more skilled than Alex Debrinkit of the Erie Otters. He put up 50-goal, 100-point seasons back-to-back. -back. He's only five foot seven though maybe 160 pounds you know where do you see Alex being drafted you've seen him more than we have you know and what is it you know is his size going to be a significant factor regarding his NHL success yeah the brink I talk about a kid that's kind of defied all um all logic right he's undrafted into the OHL now has back-to-back -back 50 goal season so the kid knows how to score and um everyone knows that the NHL is looking for more goals more goals is 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 one of the biggest uh, sticking points in um, NHL GM discussion. So you know the kid knows how to score, and you can't you can't teach scoring, right? Um, so the rank is probably a first rounder. Um, the size is going to concern some teams. However, he you don't if you if you look back um, on any tape of the rank, you notice that he doesn't get knocked around very often. So um, he's not a, a I wouldn't call him a very speedy player. He's got good explosive explosiveness inside 10 feet which you know creates elusiveness and, and separation and gives them that room to uh, um, exploit you know scoring lanes so um, that's a valuable aspect of the game that acceleration but um, you don't see them get knocked around so um, a 50 goal score at the junior level um, his projection is a difficult one to make um, we've seen lots of smaller players come into the NHL um, and, and do well but 
there's also lots of examples of, of players who don't, okay? Um, he is a very competitive player. Um, he knows how to play alongside top talent. We've seen that with McDavid, um, Dylan Strom, and Austin Matthews even for a little bit at the uh, World Championships there, or sorry, the World Juniors. Um, so that's, those are all check marks in, in his column. So I don't think we're going to have to wait too long to hear DeBrincat's name. Um, he's one player I'm very interested to see where he gets drafted next weekend. Um, could be a top 15 guy, could slide just outside of the first round as well. Um, so, like I said, I'm going to be very interested to see where he lands and, and how he makes the makes the next step into pro hockey. Um, like I said, though, he, he can't teach scoring and he knows how to score. Brendan, we've got one last question for you here. In addition to having the second overall pick, the Jets have the 22nd overall pick, of course, acquired in the Andrew Ladd trade, and then they also have another early pick uh, in the second round. I wanted to ask you about two guys who the Jets could possibly draft out of the OHL. Boris Kachuk, left winger for the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds, and Cliff Pugh, center for the London Knights. Different types of players. Both are projected to go late first round, early second round. What, you, what can you tell us uh, about their games and how they project at the NHL level? Uh, I love both of these guys, and, and might I add that the, the Jets scouting staff is is probably the best in the NHL. Um, they're going to pick a good player. Their their pipeline is absolutely stocked, and that's afforded you guys some opportunities to make some um, very lucrative trades. So, I'm um, getting line at the top of the draft. That's going to be awesome for for the Winnipeg Jets fans. Yeah, the fans um, agree with that. <laughs> the fans agree with that for sure. Yeah, that's what what a consolation prize that is. Eh? Yeah. Um, but uh, in terms of uh, Kachuk and, and Cliff Pooh, both players that I've, I've really liked. Um, I don't Cliff Pooh playing out of London. I've seen lots of them this year, and he's the London factory. I'll call it a factory because they produce so many good NHL players and good professional hockey players. But um, Cliff Pooh obviously had a great playoff um, Mastercard Memorial Cup run with the Knights, um, but for the most of the season he was playing second fiddle, and sometimes you know he was the tenth man. Um, in London's lineup, yet every time he took the ice, he was able to make something happen. Um, caught a lot of Cliff um, in his minor midget year. Back then, you know, he was a skilled player. You could see the skill. Um, everything around his game, like Mac Jones, a lot of these players, revolves around speed. Um, he's got it. He's a, he can beat a lot of defenders wide and then um, make a hard cut to the net, you know, and that creates secondary scoring chances. Um, that's something that wasn't necessarily prevalent in this game during his minor midget day, so he's added a level of toughness, if you will. I wouldn't consider him you know, a tough player, but he's willing to go into the trenches. He's willing to play into the middle of the ice, and that's where you're going to get scoring opportunities. So, Cliff Pugh, yeah, um, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, Zach's submission, um, he was a, a su- kind of a surprise pick by the Boston Bruins last year out of the O. Um, I think Cliff Pugh is that player to watch for uh, come next weekend, um, just because he's going to have a great, great uh, post-draft season, there's going to be open um, ice time for him. I think we're going to see him um, production-wise explode. Um, so, yeah, that would be a great pick for um, Winnipeg Jets fans. And because they have such a deep pipeline, they can afford to take you know a little bit more risk uh, on kind of hitting that jackpot-type prospect. So um, that's good identifying Cliff Poo as a potential first-rounder. Uh, Kachuk out of Sioux Savory, um, this kid, this is a kid I had highly ranked coming into his OHL draft year, and, and I would admit now that I probably didn't even have him ranked high enough. Um, just a coach's type of player. This is this is a guy you want on a championship team. Um, not 
quick skater, um, average skater at best probably, but just an extremely intelligent um, hockey player. Knows where to be, knows how to make a difference every every situation, whether it's defensively or offensively. Um, he, he makes better. He makes players around him better. Um, I like to call him, you know, a plug and play type of player. Um, you can put him on the uh, third line, and he's gonna he's gonna wear teams down um, deep in the zone. Or you can play him with your top players, like you did um, um, sometimes in Sault Ste. Marie with you know Blake Spears and company. So, just a player that I think is a, a lock. He should be a lock for the first round, and a player that you're gonna see win championships. Brendan Ross is the director of scouting for the Scout.ca. He covers the Ontario Hockey League. Brendan, really appreciate your time and insight into some of the OHL draft-eligible prospects whose names we're probably going to hear next weekend in Buffalo. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks. Have fun next weekend, guys. You too, Brendan. Thanks very much. Let's head to break. When we come back, Keith Yandel is our unrestricted free agent of the week. We talk about him next on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show on TSN 1290. Yandel, a chance to win it in overtime. A minute 16 into the overtime. Keith Yandel with a penalty shot. Moves in on Steve Mason. Yandel scores! Rangers win in overtime! Keith Yandel of the New York Rangers is our unrestricted free agent of the week. Welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show here on TSN 1290. Drew Mandel and Ezra Ginsberg with you. Still to come on the show, David Pagnotta of thefourthperiod.com and Kerry Eads, the head coach of the Fargo Force of the USHL, who's going to join us to talk about the USHL draft-eligible prospects. This segment of the program is brought to you by Keener Jerseys. Keener Jerseys is known as one of the world's best jersey customizers. If you want awesome jerseys for your rec team or have a jersey you want customized, visit Keener Jerseys on Line at keenerjerseys.com. Ezzy, we are two weeks less a day away from the start of NHL less free agency. Less a day or less a day? Less a day. Uh, away from the start of NHL free agency. Keith Yandel of the New York Rangers is one of those pending unrestricted free agents. You know, he's an interesting guy. He's certainly offensively inclined from the back end, more so defensively. Coming off of a six, pardon me, a five-year, twenty-six point two five million dollar contract, he had a salary cap hit of five point two five million. He is one of the left side defensemen, the rare left side defenseman that you see in the NHL. And I think that despite his age of thirty years old, he'll be that uh, at the start of next year. As a left side defenseman, I think he's a guy who's going to get a he's going to have a sizable amount of interest in him in the free agent market when it begins on July the first. Yeah, Drew and the New York Rangers probably wish that they could keep Keith Yandel, but unfortunately, he's going to cost too much money based on the fact that they're not going to have the room under the salary cap to sign him. So when you're talking about Keith Yandel, you're talking about probably a five million or or six million dollar defenseman. And you mentioned you know Keith Yandel has his weaknesses. He's not your prototypical shutdown defenseman, but the fact is he can move the puck, mm-hmm. and you can put Keith Yandel on your power play. And there are going to be many teams that are calling Keith Yandel's agent. And in fact, Drew, this year, you know, talking about the free agent market, there's a lot of good forwards there too, but there's a lot of good veteran defensemen available. Dan Hamhus is another one of those defensemen that I think Chicago would love to have. Yeah, there's no way they can fit him under the cap. And that's just the issue, right? Dan Hamhus is another guy who's probably going to make about $5 million a year. And so Keith Yandel, you know, you're talking about teams that are lacking um, 
offensive talent on the back end are, are, are going to be inquiring about him. But, you know, Keith Yandel, you forget, he's only 29 years old. And even though the New York Rangers gave up a lot to acquire him, first-round pick and mm -hmm. Anthony Duclair, uh, he was a very valuable member of this team, especially when the New York Rangers had injury problems and Dan Boyle started to tail off. Really, Keith Yandel was brought in as a replacement for Dan Boyle to play that same type of role, that offensive defenseman role, play on the power play, stuff like that. So when you're talking about Yandel, I would imagine that if you're, you want to get into numbers, I mean, Yandel's a guy that I would expect to sign for four or five years, and, and he might get as much as $6 million a year. When you're talking about last year's free agent market, you're talking about guys like Jeff Petrie, and you're talking about guys like Andre Sequeira. I mean, the fact is, when you're talking about a guy who can break out the puck like Keith Yandel and skate like Keith Yandel and, and do the things offensively that he can do, I mean, he's certainly much more offensively inclined than Andre Sakara is. And if you look at what he, he got, he I think he got around $5 million a year. Well, that was a terrible contract that the Oilers signed him to. But I look at a guy well, like... Well, just the point being of course. that if he's getting $5 million, you could argue Yandel should be getting $6 million. Well, I look at a guy like Mike Green. Mike Green, who was 29 years old last year when he was signed a three-year $18 million contract with the Detroit Red Wings. Yep. Now, Green is primarily known for his offense and certainly not for his defense. Uh, Yandel is you know, probably, uh, you know, he's certainly, well, he was, had a better offensive year than Mike Green did last year, getting 47 points to Mike Green's uh, 35 for the Red Wings. So Yandel, a little bit m even maybe more offensively inclined than Mike Green is at this point in his career. Green having suffered, uh, you know, years and years worth of injuries back with the Washington Capitals maybe even a little bit better defensively or similar defensively. Also, when he plays the left side, it's so rare that you can get a young, relatively young, 29, 30-year-old defenseman who plays the left side. I mean, you don't necessarily want to sign Yandel to a five-year deal, but you're probably going to have to give him four years and maybe $6.5 million uh, you know, as a left-side defenseman given that offensive prowess he holds. I think he could get a five-year deal. I mean, we don't know at this point, but it's certainly based on his age, he could get a five-year yeah. deal, Drew. You probably don't want to, but you might have to go to that point to sign him. Exactly. Um, you know, the comparison to Mike Green is a good one, and, you know, there are going to be links made between Keith Yandel and the Boston Bruins because he's from Boston. Mm -hmm. And Boston, as we know, I mean, defense has been a big issue there. They haven't had as much offense from the defense that they were used to. Guys like Zdeno Chara have gotten older, and they've been forced to move out a guy like Johnny Boychuk, who even though he's more of a defensive defenseman, Johnny Boychuk has his offensive capabilities as well. Sure. So look at a team like the Boston Bruins and wouldn't be surprised if they they tried to acquire, pardon me, if they tried to go out and sign Keith Yandel. I think there's going to be a lot of teams that, that are, are looking to sign Keith Yandel and there are all obviously teams that don't have the salary cap space. Like I look at a team like the Los Angeles Kings. Yeah, they just Keith don't Yandel would be perfect for the, for the Los Angeles Kings, but certainly... He's going to sign and he's going to get paid, whether that's a four or five year contract. He's going to be one of the most highly sought after free agents on the free agency market. Um, I like Keith Yandel. Yeah. And again, I know he has his, his deficiencies and, you know, he's he sometimes struggles down low in his defensive coverage and stuff like that. But the fact is, Drew, when you have a guy like that, that can quarterback your power play and stuff like that. And you talk about you know the name of the game being speed right now with the Pittsburgh Penguins and all of that. Um, I think he's going to have no trouble. He'll he'll be a guy that signs July 1st. I, I think he'll have a ton of suitors. Boston makes a ton of sense. And look, the, the Jets make a ton of sense given their hole on the left side of the defense. I don't expect that he's going to well, come. The Jets have so much tied up in their defense already. It's hard to believe that they would pay more uh, for Keith Yandel. I Yandel. don't You're see right. that happening. I don't see it happening either, but it certainly makes a ton of sense given their need on the left side. 
Uh, I don't expect it to happen. Boston, you know, the, the Bruins were a team that had terrible salary cap problems. They sort of have got out from underneath that with uh, the last couple of years, given that they've had to sort of go through their struggles to clear up the cap room. They now have the space where they can afford to sign a guy like Keith Yandel. But it might be a question of, is it Yandel or is it Louis Erickson? Right. Only can afford yep. one or the other. Let's throw out another team that makes sense. Dallas just lost Alex Goligoski. Sure. His, his negotiating rights uh, were traded. And you look at Keith Yandel, he kind of fits in nicely as a replacement Offensive. for Alex Goligoski, doesn't he? Well, sure, because especially with the Stars being a team that wants to play an up-tempo offensive style more so, they would certainly fit well there. Keith Yandel, unrestricted free agent of the week here on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show, will have no trouble finding a job come July 1st. Let's head to break. When we come back, David Pagnotta of the fourthperiod.com joins us here on the show. You're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. We're live on TSN 1290.